So I prepared a prayer for the end of the sermon today uh, based on the Lord's Prayer. Something happens when you live together in the same house for 29 years. We didn't talk about it. It just happened that way. Um, so, um, I'm going to read 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Um, and sometimes we stand, sometimes we don't stand. There's no rules about this, right? It's okay that we stood when we were reading it with this morning with Andrew, and it's okay that we sit and listen to To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This seems like an abrupt change of direction at first. But if we look at where Peter left us at the end of chapter 4, This begins to make some sense, because here in chapter 5, Peter moves directly from persecution, from suffering, and from these refining, fiery trials into the work of leaders in the church with this encouragement. I'm with you. I'm one of you. I'm a fellow elder, and I understand the sufferings of Christ and the sufferings of his people. Now shepherd the flock under your care in these difficult times. Watch over them. That's the way I see that. And it does seem obvious that the flock needs care when facing serious threats and prolonged challenges. And that's one reason why the the church has leaders, why God grants leaders to the church. But there are other good reasons God establishes leaders for the church too. And some of those we'll see in the scriptures this morning. I plan to focus only on the first four verses of this chapter, but I promise you there will be plenty to say. Uh, I have three questions to address. The first is, what does Peter mean by elders, and what does elder mean in the New Testament? We'll spend 80 plus percent of the time on that question, so don't worry. The second is, what do elders do? And the third is, how do elders do their work? Question one, what does Peter mean by elders? So, he writes, to the elders... And to answer this question, I did a little digging into the original language of the New Testament. The Greek word that's translated elders in verse 1 is presbyteros, or more literally, old people. It's used 66 times in the New Testament. Now, most of those references in the Gospels and in Acts refers to the leaders of the Jewish communities. But later in the book of Acts, and then in the New Testament letters, it always refers to, or almost always refers to, the leaders of the church, maybe 19 or 20 times in there. There's a second Greek word that is used. I'm a little ahead of myself there. I'm not quite ready for that. There we go. Sorry. There's a second Greek word that's used in the New Testament. 
to denote the leaders of the church, and that is episkopos. Sometimes that's translated bishops, but more commonly we see it as overseer. Uh, its, its root comes from watching, and it means superintendent or manager or guardian or overseer. And it's also used of church leadership frequently, one time about Jesus and multiple times for leaders of the church. In fact, the word occurs in verse 2 of our passage today, translated, watching over them. Um, in other versions, it's, it's seeing, uh, serving as overseers or exercising oversight. What's clear and, and accepted by New Testament scholars is that these terms, presbyteros and episkopos, or elder and overseer, refer to the same thing. It's the leader's of the New Testament church. And from this point forward, I'll speak of them as elders for simplicity. The writings of Peter and of Paul and of Luke in the book of Acts and even of James in chapter 5, they give very clear instruction about elder leadership. And we'll spend some time on those instructions this morning. But what is much less clear, I have discovered is the meaning of another word used for leader in the New Testament church. Pastor. In fact, in our day, that's what people really mean when they speak of the leader of the church, right? If you say to somebody, I go to such and such church, they commonly ask, well, who's your pastor? Do you like your pastor? What's your pastor like? Do you know how many times we see the word pastor in the New Testament? One, in some translations. Others have zero. The one is in Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. The word translated pastor in this verse, poimen, is found numerous times in New Testament Greek, where it's always translated shepherd. So in the Christmas story, the, the shepherds are poimenas. In our text this morning, the same root is found twice. Okay, verse 4 describes Jesus as the chief poimen, the chief shepherd. And verse 2, the same root occurs in verb form, poimeno, the flock, shepherd, the flock. Like so many words, there's a literal meaning, right? Caring for herds or caring for the sheep, and a figurative or metaphorical meaning. And I would say that for these elders to whom Peter writes, the metaphorical meaning is crystal clear. Shepherding, right, means caring for God's flock. So that brings me to a discovery that I've made while studying this issue over the past six months or so. The typical church leadership role of senior pastor, as we have had it here and as we know it, or in the CRC tradition, technically, minister of the word, really can't be found in the teaching of the Bible. 
Now, clearly many parts of this role, this job, are inferred from New Testament teachings about elders. But any model of leadership that gives primacy or supremacy to a senior pastor is not really based in the New Testament. How can this be? Most of the churches in America are either led officially or led pragmatically by a senior pastor. And to be fair, many churches call for and practice some form of shared leadership. So our own denominational church order calls for shared leadership between the minister of the word and the elders. Article 25B, CRC church order, states, The elders with the minister or ministers shall oversee the doctrine and life of the members of the congregation and fellow office bearers. But in practice, in my experience, the senior pastor has always been regarded as the primary leader of New Life Church by the congregation and by the elders in the council. And that's been true of most other churches I've seen over the years. Elders rarely share equally in the leadership of the church. Now, there are three obvious reasons that come to mind for this. The first is the unique training and experience of the pastor, right? the professional pastor. The second is the weekly prominence in the pulpit, preaching. And the third is the full-time salary commonly paid to the pastor. But this traditional model does not follow from the teaching of the Bible for one clear reason. Every mention of leadership in the New Testament refers to a group of elders, plural. Acts 11.30 speaks of the elders at the church in Antioch. Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in every church. In Acts 15 and 16, it's the elders and apostles of the Jerusalem church who were the leaders of the church. Acts 20 is the key one for me. The leaders in Ephesus were called for by Paul. Paul it says, Paul sent for the elders in Ephesus. And then when they're having a conversation with him, he talks with them about being overseers who are called the shepherd or pastor the flock. So paraphrase, it's elders, keep watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Elders and overseers, same thing. And pastor or shepherd, the church of God. Elders and overseers, pastor. Which he bought with his own blood. So all the rest of them say the same thing. It's always elders or leaders, Sometimes it's in more generic language about leaders or heeding the leaders of the church. They keep watch over your souls. But in every one of these texts, the plain implication is that each church had several elders. Some also had deacons. Note that other more generic terms are always in plural. There's never a single leader. I think the evidence for shared leadership in the church is overwhelming. Every mention of church leadership, Paul, Peter, James, Luke, whatever church, however they were influenced, whether they were the associates of Paul planting the church or Peter's influence, 
it always indicates a team of elder leaders. So put it another way, there's no evidence in the New Testament record of a church being pastored or shepherded by a single man. Furthermore, the impression is always given that the elders were raised up by God from within the local church. By contrast today, most churches hire professional clergy from outside the congregation to lead and shepherd the people of God. Now hear me clearly, that model can work, and it can work well, okay? It's not heresy. But like all things, there are some downsides, even in churches where it seems to work well. So here are my top five issues with the pastoral supremacy model of church leadership. The first I call ministers and consumers. The most widespread and I think the most insidious problem is that paying a professional to be your pastor establishes and legitimizes a false distinction between the clergy and the laity. It says there are two classes of Christians. There are those who are paid to minister, and then there are those who receive the ministry and receive the, the ministry services, consume them, basically, right? It's like an American thing, right? We consume Christian goods and services. And some people might argue that, hey, we're paying for this, right? We're paying the salary. We may as well get something for it. On the other hand, to the extent that the church no longer depends on professional clergy, shared elder leadership can eliminate the distinction, actually does eliminate the distinction between clergy and laity. And it returns ministry responsibility to the people of God. The second is, who is capable? This is related, of course, to the first one. And it's, there's a, a, an erroneous belief that only professional clergy are really qualified and capable to do serious Christian work. Even in churches that appear to function well, the teaching of the word and the studying of the word that accompanies that is often left primarily to the senior pastor or the preaching pastor. And other pastors and staff are expected to do the work of caring for the needy in the congregation, to run youth groups, to counsel the struggling, to witness to the world. And I ask you, can it really be God's intent that paid professionals do the lion's share of ministry in the kingdom of God? Or does he give gifts to his church to equip people, his people, for works of service? The next is pastor burnout. So this is real, and for obvious reasons. We've seen it here. It's crazy to expect one person, even a supremely gifted individual, to bear the burden of shepherding even a small church. Think of how overwhelming it would be for you if you had just come out of seminary in your mid-20s with virtually no life experience and you're asked to step into the role of spiritual leader for people two and three times your age. But even our older and more experienced pastoral 
leaders here have flamed out after several years. You know, Rick Ebers is our church counselor. He's a pastor at the Journey in Longmont. And we talked about this, and he, he was honest with me. He said, look, professional clergy are caught in a trap. If we don't do most of the work, he said, we feel guilty, like we're not earning our keep. And yet if we do do most of our work, we suffer from overload and sometimes resentment and burnout. Shared elder leadership can spread and lighten the load of servant leadership. The next one is human weakness. Moral failure is a real problem among pastors. Now, it's a real problem among all of us, right? But pastors have this limelight, they have this this spotlight focused on them. When one man is the single leader in the face of the congregation and that man fails, the congregation can be crushed. The single leader at the top of the leadership pyramid is always alone and prone to the kind of sins that tempt us when we're alone. The senior pastor often has no true peers in the congregation and usually turns outside the church for uh, peer friendship and, and mentorship and community in many cases. The senior pastor also faces alone the corrupting influence of pride that comes with the power and the responsibility of being at the top of the pyramid. Shared elder leadership, on the other hand, provides shared accountability. It provides peer support. It provides a check on one's pride. And it balances out one man's weakness with another's strength. Number five is brothers and sisters. This is related to number one, too. You know, the whole teaching of the New Testament is radically leveling. It's anti-clerical. 1 Peter 2.9 is one of the great texts that has to do with this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Right? There's no longer a priestly class as there was in the ancient uh, uh, the time of Israel. under the old covenant. There's no priestly class because Jesus is our ultimate priest and our ultimate prophet and our ultimate king. The most common metaphor for the New Testament church is the family of God in which all believers are brothers and sisters with one father. Jesus was clear about not elevating oneself above others. Matthew 23 is really pointed on this, where Jesus criticizes the the religious elite, the religious professionals of Israel for chasing after recognition from men. And then he tells his disciples, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and all of you are brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, For you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
Even Peter, the great apostle, humbles himself as he addresses these elders in you know, Asia Minor. He calls himself a fellow elder. That's all. I could go on. I've been thinking about this for months and months now. And I'm not saying that operating a church with a senior pastor supremacy model is heresy. I've got to be totally clear about that. Even, you know, pragmatically of having, having one person be that, that point person. Much good can be done in God's kingdom under that model. But I am saying that that model is not consistent with the teaching of the New Testament about church leadership. Instead, it comes from a long tradition of human organizational behavior. I'm also saying that the shared eldership model taught in Scripture has many advantages for the church and for the growth of all of God's people toward maturity. Now, there are also some disadvantages, to be sure. Because there's no single authority, team leadership can be exasperating. It requires great patience and wisdom and self-control and humility. Leaders must trust and love one another to make any progress together. And then I think to myself, isn't that just like God to set something up that really depends on love being the core value? And that number two is, without organizational discipline, shared leadership can be paralysis. Because when no one is ultimately responsible, or I take it back, because when Everyone is responsible in a shared way. No one is ultimately responsible, right? And thirdly, in most cases, the leadership will often not have the educational and the organizational training that's offered in seminary. And the congregation has to really trust God, that God will provide the kind of teaching and shepherding that is needed to advance his kingdom. All that considered, in my view, the long-term benefits of shared elder leadership are substantial. And that is the view of all the current elders. We believe that God is calling us to pursue a model of church leadership more like what's taught in the New Testament than what we have experienced here previously. We're convinced that God has prepared us to move into that direction of taking greater responsibility for the church than as elders we have previously. And you know, most of us have served before. We've, been, we've done this, and what we're doing now is different. But Andrew and Ross and Vern and Dave and I, we are committed to your well-being. We love you. We care for you. We pray for you. We want you to grow and to thrive in the Lord. And we're working to create a church fellowship that honors God and that builds up his people. We're not against trained pastors. We're just against a leadership model that says the professional pastor is the supreme leader. And if God provides, we will welcome a seminary-trained, uh, bivocational pastor as a fellow elder. I've talked with a few pastors about this, actually. And 
unanimously, their, their eyes light up and they get excited about this model where it's not just about them. So they think, and I think, we may find someone to join us on this journey. Now, I've burned most of my time and energy already on question one, as I predicted. <laughs> what does Peter mean by elder? Which led into what is a pastor and what is shared elder leadership. But to summarize, by elders, Peter means the mature, qualified leaders of the church, always plural. Much more can be said about this, right? Um, we're not into Timothy and Titus where all the qualifications of, of elders and deacons are, are reviewed. But we're going to move into questions two and three, and I'm going to answer them with shocking brevity. <laughs> what do elders do? It's right there in verse two. They shepherd the flock. Elders shepherd the flock of God among you. They care for it. They watch over it. They protect it. Verse three adds, they serve as examples to the flock. The fundamental work of the shared elder leadership is to feed and to lead by example, to care for and to protect the flock of God in the local congregation. Boom. Question three, how do they do their work? It's right there again, verse two and three. Peter exhorts the elders to serve willingly and eagerly, not lording it over others, not seeking financial gain or other selfish ends. Jesus is supremely concerned with the heart of every person, and these leaders are no exception. He's interested in people who have the right heart for this. So those who serve as elders must be at least somewhat transformed into the shape of Christ-likeness, into the direction, at least, of Christ-likeness. Enough so that their hearts are in the right place. And one last point. Elders always serve as those under authority. Verse 4 makes that very clear. Verse 4 says that the chief shepherd will return and judge the work of the elders. Those who serve well will receive a reward. Something on the order of well done, good and faithful servant. Thus, elders always work, must work according to the methods and the guidance of the chief shepherd. For all of us will answer to him. So there you have it. Peter exhorts the elders of Asia Minor to shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Feed, lead, care for, and protect the church of God. Now, I've said a lot about elders, but nothing about deacons. There are two leadership offices established in the New Testament, and it would take another sermon to talk about deacons. Um, elders are responsible for the spiritual well-being of the church, and deacons for the physical and practical well-being of the church. One person framed it this way, elders look after primarily the issues of grace and truth, and deacons look after primarily the issues of justice and mercy. In any case, all of the leaders must first be concerned with expressing the love of God through Jesus Christ. Andrew's going to take us through the ordination of our new deacons uh, after this next song. Um, first, join me in prayer as we honor God who has given us these leaders.
Oh, Father in heaven, may your name be honored in our worship today. In all of our worship. In the proclamation of your glory in song and in the uh, turn toward you in confession and the assurance from your word and the, the preaching of your word and in the ordination of our deacons. All of this is worship because you're the one for whom it is done. It's meant to honor you. So may you be honored. May your kingdom come in all its fullness and may your will be done on earth in our midst. Give us what we really need today, Lord, I pray for each of us. Forgive us our sins and grant us grace to forgive those who have hurt us. Lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil both within and without. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.